Distilled is a production of Chemical Processing. Chemical Processing focuses on serving engineers, designing and operating plants in the chemical industry. Welcome to the Solution Spotlight edition of our Chemical Processing Distilled podcast. Solution Spotlight, delving deeper into a topic from an industry perspective. One of the most commonly used compounds in the chemical industry is water, not only as a solvent in processing, but also as an energy carrier in the cooling or heating cycle. Monitoring water quality can predict performance and protect equipment. I'm Tracy Purdom, Senior Digital Editor for Chemical Processing, and joining me today is Amanda Scott, Product Management Leader for the Seavers product line at Suez Water Technologies and Solutions. Amanda, I'm looking forward to learning exactly how total organic carbon analyzers can maintain productivity and reduce plant shutdowns. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us on. I'm really excited to be here to chat about the importance of monitoring water quality to help plants control their processes better. All right, well, I'm going to launch right into the first question of uh, what particular issues should a plant check for in closed-loop cooling water systems? Great. Well, closed-loop cooling water systems offer an incredible advantage to many plants. The, the advantage being that when it's a closed-loop, the power is that the chemistry can be tightly controlled, mm-hmm. and it's designed to be highly efficient. However, any leaks or losses that go unmonitored can yield significant impacts, whether those be asset damage, downtime, or even plant shutdown. So with that, the water quality becomes really important to prevent probably three top items, scale, corrosion, and fouling, whether that's microbial or organic fouling. And when we think about each of those potential problems, there's there's opportunities through monitoring those and trying to prevent the downtime, the excess fuel requirements, And honestly, I mean, the number one thing with a closed-loop cooling system is having efficient heat transfer. When you have something like corrosion or scaling or fouling, that's starting to impact the equipment in the short term, which is going to reduce your productivity. And it's also going to affect the equipment in the long term where you might need to replace equipment down the line or even shut down the plant and completely start over. And I guess that brings us into to one of the questions of what issues can uh, the TOC analyzers detect? And you, you mentioned the three. Um, are those the obvious ones? And, and are there other things that, that these analyzers can detect? Sure. So TOC is total organic carbon, looking at all of the organic compounds that might come into a plant through source water, that might leak out through different treatment chemicals, or even treatment processes themselves. So the, the big value of TOC is that it's looking at all the carbon. It's not just looking at a portion of a carbon. It's not just looking at the ionic or the non-ionic. It's looking at everything. And we know that some organics can break down to organic acids and kind of reveal some harmful corrosive ions like chlorides and sulfates when they become when they become exposed to high temperatures and pressures of a boiler system. Now when you're just looking at room temperature 
before it goes to that point, like in your final polishing system, then you might not be able to detect these chemicals using traditional methods like pH or conductivity. TOC analyzers often also monitor IC or inorganic carbon. So that's going to include bicarbonate, carbonates, and carbon dioxide. That's necessary to remove as well to reduce alkalinity and fight scale. The goal there being to minimize the carbonate species. So there are several ways that organics can come in or affect a process. One being from source water, whether that's natural organic matter from the environment, and some of those compounds tend to have negative effects on treatment equipment or can pass through pretreatment and linger on and then become breakdown into organic acids later on. Through the process, you might have even ion exchange resin leaching or the resin itself leaching, which are organic in nature. And then some of the critical compounds are these organic halogen or organic nitrogen compounds that can break down to corrosive acids or yield those harmful uh, ions like chlorides. Organic uh, halogen compounds could come from the environment when we have natural organic matter and we add disinfectant to clean that for, say, drinking water purposes. Those then form what, what's often called disinfection byproducts. And those have a chronic effect of being carcinogenic to humans, um, but they also have an effect in that they're organic halogen compounds, and so those halogens can become dangerous when they break down and cause chlorides to then lead to corrosive situations. Um, in addition, the treatment chemicals that are sometimes used to even protect from corrosion, they can volatize in the steam phase. And you might have other solvents or oils that could affect, you know, by causing leaks into one system. So there's a number of ways that organics can, can affect a process. I'd say the last one is probably being that organics are food for microbial growth. So instead of waiting and trying to see if you have a biofouling problem or a biofilm, if you monitor the organics before then, you can try to eliminate those and prevent that microbial growth from even happening. So the more residue organics that you have lingering in the system, and if you have time and you have heat, well, it makes sense that you might have microbial growth. So organics can be a really key way to help identify where the source is coming from, what the problem is, and if it's not an organic problem, if your organic number isn't changing, then you can look to the inorganics or you can use the parameters that you're already measuring to help decide how to make a better process decision. And all of this is trying to help prevent catastrophic damage, prevent reduced heat transfer, prevent higher operating costs or unplanned blowdowns, which yield lost productivity. Ultimately, we're trying to protect the productivity, protect the equipment itself, and protect it for the long run. Everything that, that they're looking for at the plant level, for sure. Uh, mm -hmm. Next question here is, is why are traditional monitoring techniques not as uh, effective in spotting leaks like this? So some 
what I talked about before is that at, at room temperature and pressure, you know, we've got our source water coming in, we've got our pretreatment, and then we yield our final boiler feed water. So kind of following through this system, we, that boiler feed water then becomes steam, and we try to condense that steam back and reuse it as much as we can. And that's the, the whole concept of this closed-loop cooling water system, which are trying to cool down that steam maybe with a coolant like glycol or another cooling fluid, polish that condensate, and return it back. So with that closed-loop system, the chemistry is really important. And when we're using traditional tools like pH and conductivity, we might not be picking up these key contaminants. So the contaminants of concern, we really want to be able to detect at the moment of the leak or loss. And the challenge is that many of those critical contaminants only become harmful after they decompose at higher temperatures and pressures once they come back into the boiler feed water system. So we want to address kind of the ionic, the non-ionic, the organic, and the inorganic and try and use the monitoring tools that we have to decipher where, where these leaks could come from and how we can detect them quickly. So with monitoring of organics, we can quickly detect a leak of, say, glycol, which is that cooling fluid, and it has very special features that make it useful, but it can also be a hazardous substance and it can decompose to seriously affect the corrosivity of the solution. Glycol is going to go undetected by pH and conductivity. Organic compounds like those organic halogen compounds are going to go undetected by conductivity. And so it's important to quickly be able to find and trace these key organic compounds and detect them at very low levels. We've heard from several plants that even like one soda bottle, like a 12-ounce bottle or a 16-ounce bottle that leaks in over, over a day or two can cause catastrophic damage and a plant might need to shut down. And so when you're talking about a big system with many millions of gallons of water moving through it a day, that little amount can cause a big issue. So you need a tool that has good sensitivity to quickly alert the operators of something's wrong here I need to make a change or I need to shut off this stream from coming in. And so by adding in monitoring of all organics, we can detect those non-ionic compounds and those organic compounds that, might, that are critical to the process before they decompose at those higher temperatures and pressures. So is this real time? Do they, um, they get alerted right away as this is happening, or is it the next day when they're looking over reports that they notice it? So that's a great question. It all depends on how quickly their system changes. And if they're using laboratory tools where they might take a sample and measure it in the lab once a day or a couple times a day during each shift, or if they are using continuous online monitoring tools. And continuous online monitoring tools for organic carbon, and a TOC, you can get results as quickly as two minutes or even sometimes in a faster mode, a couple seconds. And that differentiates TOC from some other monitoring 
sensors, I'll call them, and there's a difference between sensors and analyzers. Sensors kind of compare something in the water to a known reference. Analyzers detect the true amount of the contaminant that is present in the sample. And so sensors have a tendency to drift, they need more frequent calibration, they might have more interferences, but they tend to be lower capital cost. Analyzers will have a higher capital cost, but they prevent against drift, they have very stable calibration, they have very few interferences. So some sensors might claim that there is instantaneous results of picking something up, but we have to remember that they're comparing that number against a reference. And so if anything in that sample really changes, your comparison to the previous reference might not be as accurate. So by, you know, it could be as frequent as, as four seconds to two minutes with some of the analyzers that we provide, for instance. And that moves right into another good question of what does an effective testing procedure entail? What does that look like? And that's a great question. So the key is really water treatment optimization. The ability not only apply the right chemistries, but monitor and control that water quality. So we need to understand, and I kind of put this into four points. What is the purpose of the data? You know, we don't want to work with plants who just add analyzers and all these different points just to have data. What's the purpose of the data and where are we going to put it? And then, you know, as we think about what the purpose of the data is, then what's the purpose for the process? Is it to protect equipment? Is it for productivity? Outline what the key is for this this critical point that we're going to monitor. And then what is the issue that we want to avoid? So that then gets us to setting limits and knowing where to monitor, and then validate all of those assumptions. So I have an example from a plant that began developing their own process by examining their cooling water loops and testing a standard condensate and then spiking that with glycol. They wanted to be able to detect glycol leaks, and two of their sister plants had to shut down for several days because they did not detect a glycol leak. So they wanted to come up with a plan to ensure that this plant did not have to shut down. So they did some lab testing, and they found out that TOC was a very good tool. They got a linear correlation with glycol, even at very low levels. And they also identified that, yes, indeed, glycol was the issue. Then they figured out, okay, well, how could glycol enter in? And for them, it was two possible ways both involving the potential of faulty seals. So when a plant is not active, the closed-loop cooling water system is operating normally, and there's a pressure difference from the cooling water to the boiler feed water pump. Here, their glycol leaks could occur due to to a defective pump seal. The other way is when a plant is operating, there's a potential for a glycol leak if the feed water pump seal is is inadequate to begin with. So they identified where the problem could come from, what tool they wanted to use, and then they set limits. So they found that what their normal condensate TOC is at about 20-ish ppb, if something is over 
200 ppb, then they would either grab another sample to confirm or they would switch to the alternate feed water pump. And so they set these limits and they kind of created a decision tree and that then became the procedure for op new operators coming in, for operators coming in on different shifts, so that everybody could follow this set procedure and know that they were preventing glycol leaks, they were maintaining productivity, and they wouldn't have to shut down the plant. Obviously, this is very complementary to regulatory compliance, um, but how does it specifically help meet that? Sure. So there's both. I want to talk a little bit about internal and external, like regulation and requirements, because there are often several internal requirements that, that a plant might need to deal with. From an external standpoint, there are guidelines that exist for boiler feed water quality. Uh, some power organizations like EPRI recommend less than 100 parts per billion or micrograms per liter of TOC. An organization in Europe called VGB recommends less than 200 parts per billion. We also have seen that some European standard water rules and the American Society of Mechanical Engineers both have consensus on operating practices for the control of feed water and boiler water quality based on pressure, um, so based on the drum pressure, the, the lower the pressure, the lower the requirement. The higher the pressure, the lower the requirement. Um, and then also in the European standard, the requirements for boiler feed water have a, a recommendation for TOC in the feed water and in the injection water, with the injection water being lower. But some of those internal guidelines might exist from equipment manufacturers, whether the boiler itself or the turbine, require certain parameters to be met in order to ensure those equipment because a boiler could be $100 million. And so you want to make sure that there are tools and there are procedures in place to prevent any damage from that. There could also be um, requirements from the treatment equipment. Let's say you partner with somebody to provide membranes or ion exchange, and there are certain specifications on that water you require them to meet certain specifications delivering back to you, but sometimes the plant might need to deliver to that piece of equipment certain specifications so that the membranes don't get fouled, for instance. And then finally, on the discharge side, this is very complementary to water that's being set back into the environment. Whether that's cooling water or the discharge of wastewater, TOC is a direct measurement of organic discharge. So it's, again, looking at all of the organic carbons. It's very simple and very direct way of looking at the organic contamination that could be leaving a plant. And it can be correlated to some current regulatory requirements of BOD or COD. That's a biological oxygen demand or chemical oxygen demand. And I label those as more indirect measurements of organic discharge because they're looking at the oxygen demand uptake from a sample, not necessarily the true organic matter. And they can have some interferences with those measurements. And those measurements also take 
several days for BOD or several hours for COD. So the speed that you mentioned earlier of getting a response to make a change makes TOC have many advantages as it is a direct measurement quickly as opposed to an indirect measurement not very quickly with BOD or COD. And we've even seen that several countries around the world are moving from monitoring COD on their discharge to TOC because COD also involves the use of hazardous chemicals within the measurement itself. And so as plants and as regulatory bodies are trying to become more sustainable and environmentally friendly as we're monitoring what's being discharged into the environment, um, it's really critical to have a measurement that doesn't use hazardous substances. Absolutely. And, and this entire conversation, you've done a great job of highlighting what these analyzers do, but how do the Seavers TOC analyzers differ from other alternatives? Great. So I just mentioned a little bit about you know, what TOC is versus BOD and COD and how it might differ from pH and conductivity. Uh, Seavers is uniquely positioned in that we have a portfolio of TOC solutions tailored to specific monitoring needs. You can imagine that the needs of monitoring a complex FGD wastewater with metals, brine, particulates requires a very robust technology and analyzer versus the sensitivity needed for ultra-pure water where we're trying to detect the smallest amount of contaminant in the purest water on Earth. And it's, it's interesting to think about because that water is almost more dangerous than that complex wastewater because it is so pure and it's stripped of all minerals. But that's getting aside a little bit. So the value in these technologies is that they're unique to obtain the best quality data for that monitoring purpose. Now, all TOC analyzers oxidize the organics to carbon dioxide and then detect that carbon dioxide. And there are a number of different ways to oxidize and ways to detect. For source water, boiler feed water, and condensate, and the clean water that we've been talking about, the Seavers M-Series, are versatile and simple. They have low maintenance, maximum uptime, and a range from very pure, like 30 parts per trillion. So that's much lower than even parts per billion. That's 0.03 parts per billion. And all the way up to 50 parts per million or milligrams per liter. These are the ones that I was talking about have the two-minute analysis time or four seconds in what we call a turbo mode to get faster data. We've calculated out over the years, and it's less than two man hours per year for maintenance. So it's very simple to use, easy to set up, very stable calibration, and there's no air requirements or external reagent jugs. The versatility comes in that they're available in laboratory, portable, or online configuration. So that means that your lab could be monitoring and you could have a portable unit move to different locations and you can have set continuous modes online and all of those would be using like-for-like -like technology. So there wouldn't be questions about 
if one technology was different from another, and you could easily compare data. For complex streams with high organic particulates and, and salts like that brine solution I was mentioning, Sievers has the Innovox family of TOC analyzers built for these industrial process and complex wastewaters. The range on those analyzers go up to 50,000 parts per million and can handle high temperatures, uh, high amounts of solids, dispersed oil. And even though you know, it's more complex and handling more complex uh, solutions, still has a stable calibration for anywhere between six to 12 months, depending on what you're running and what the purpose is of that data. It also has the ability to use different modes. So TOC mode provides that inorganic carbon as well as non-purgeable organic carbon where the inorganic carbon is sparged off using a gas. And there's the ability to plug in BOD or COD correlations to this. Now, the other interesting part about these analyzers is they use supercritical water oxidation, which came about as a treatment technology where the water is heated and pressurized to supercritical conditions. This makes it so there is no interference from salts in the solution. They fall out of solution inside the reactor, and they don't affect the measurement like they do with other technologies like combustion oxidation. So this technology, like I said, is very unique and the M-series as well is unique in that it has that stable calibration, that stable performance, and excellent sensitivity. The true advantage there is being the membrane conductivity detection. So we measure the carbon dioxide in liquid form that we have um, evolved from the oxidation. And that means that we have a nice linear correlation between the conductivity result and the organic carbon in the sample. So these technologies from Sievers are unique in that they provide the necessary data and accuracy to best fit that application and that monitoring need. And so by having this whole portfolio of these technologies from UltraPure to source and feed water to wastewater, we can help partner with users to understand how to best use this data. Amanda, you have a great wealth of knowledge on this. And I, uh, my last question that I always like to pose is, uh, is there anything that you want to add that maybe I didn't touch on um, that, that you think is important that, that our readers would um, benefit from? I would just add, I, I had a note at the end that you don't know what you don't measure. Mm-hmm. And if you don't measure it, how can you control it? So you can't control what you don't measure. If, if people spend time and money on these incredible systems for power generation, for cooling, and for treatment of that water, it behooves them to put in critical control points to ensure those systems are efficient and productive. And by adding total organic carbon, to monitor the organic species, the organic contaminants, and detect critical leaks, we can help protect equipment 
and maintain that productivity to eliminate any chance of plant shutdown. Amanda, I want to thank you for all of your thoughtful insight into not only SUA's water technologies and solutions, but the science and methodologies that the products are based on. On behalf of Chemical Processing and today's guest, Amanda Scott, this is Solution Spotlight. Mm-hmm.